Exclusive yes. on Humanize. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never said it out loud because I, I think if I would have said it in a, before now, I probably started crying and jump. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I feel like just hearing that, I've almost started crying like 20 times. Like, there's so many things that you just said man, that are dope, so, so powerful. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Yo, 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 season two. We back at this thing. Man, I'm so happy. I'm so, I don't even know the words right now. I, I feel like I'm at a loss for words. We have Pedro Silva here. He's an anomaly because he's a black pastor in Boulder. He has so much going on. Yo, today we just bring in the heat. Today's episode is about deranking conversation. The title of it being Permission to Speak Freely. Pedro, man, talk to me, man. How you doing today, brother? I'm good, and I'm glad to be up here with you guys. I'm looking forward to this. I only got one podcast on my uh on my on my iPhone, and it's y'all. I ain't got. Oh, I, don't have, I, I don't have no other podcasts up there because I ain't really. I wasn't really about podcasts, but then I got on y'all y'all's, and I'm like, so I'm I'm excited to be up here with you. Well, uh, thank you, thank man. You. Thank uh, you. Uh, <laughs> wow, me and me and Emily go cry. Oh. <laughs> So exciting. Yeah. So exciting. Courtney, how are you doing today? As you can tell by the intro, I'm feeling great. You know, I don't know why. It's <laughs> it, it's cold. It's cold out here. And, yeah. and it's miserable outside, but I'm feeling great. We have a great guest in the studio today, in the studio, you know, <laughs> loving, loving life. You know, I'm feeling great and, and want to get into this conversation about deranking um, conversations. And um, yeah. how are you? How are you, Emily? I'm doing okay. I'm being. I'm hopeful that the weather's going to turn so my kids can actually be outside a little bit more. We have been forcing them outside in one degree weather, which no. doesn't last very long, but it's like exactly. at least an activity because it takes about 45 minutes to get them into their snowsuits <laughs> and outside and then exactly. back inside and, and all that. So I'm hopeful that the weather's going to be a bit nicer, but I am also just super psyched for this conversation and to, to hear from Pedro and who is a poet and a pastor and a partner and a parent and all of these, these wonderful things. So um, welcome to the show, Pedro. Thanks for having me. Um, would you start us off? Would you be willing to just, just tell us a bit about your story? I'm curious how you got from New York to Virginia, to Mississippi, to Boulder. Like, what, tell me about that. And Atlanta. Um, well, Duluth, Duluth, Georgia, I should say. Yes, yes, yes. Atlanta, yes. Yeah. No, um, man, I don't know. I always tell people the short version is God. That's the short version I can say. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a pastor, so God's going to come up. But really, it wasn't my plan. That's why I say it's God, because it sure wasn't mine. When I was living in Atlanta, actually, that's the shortest version from here to Boulder. Back in like 2005, I was selling cars at Atlanta Toyota. And one of my one of my friends, this dude from um, Ethiopia, we were talking and he was like, hey, bro, you're weird. You're weird, bro. And I was like, why you say I'm weird? And he's like, you just think weird stuff. You don't belong here. You belong in Boulder, Colorado. He just said out what? of nowhere. Yeah, he said out of nowhere. And I said, I said, Boulder, Colorado, I don't even know where that is. And uh, geography is my kryptonite. It's a lot of stuff I can, I like read and learn stuff, but geography doesn't stick. So I was like, I don't even know where that is, man. And he said, uh, he said, yes, yeah, in the middle of the country. And I was, he said it, but then he just went one ear out of the other. So then short version, uh, I ended up meeting the person that's now my wife through an email. And we ended up talking on the phone for about six months. I didn't even know what she looked like. I never saw her in person, anything. And it's a reality show. <laughs> yeah. And she says, uh, she says to me, we were talking on the phone, though, we we're talking about spiritual stuff and God and all that stuff. And then she said, you know, I'm gonna give myself for my birthday. I said, What's that? She said, Boulder, Colorado. I said, Boulder, Colorado. I said, That's weird. That's what this dude told me I belong. And then she was just like, That's strange. I still hadn't seen her in person, right? 
Never saw her face. Ain't know what she looked like. So then we ended up meeting up. And long story short, we ended up getting married. Not that same day. Like some time went by. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but we but we ended up uh, starting a relationship. And then she moved to Boulder. You know, it was a long distance. And then I came out here from Atlanta. And, man, it was culture shock. And back then, I had like long dreads and stuff. Tell and me I about walked that culture outside. shock. I want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. in Atlanta, I could go all day without seeing a white person, and I went from that to all day without seeing a black person. Yeah. And I was like, "What in the what?" So it was a it was a trip, and uh, and I was it, I was a completely different person back then, man. I like sworn off church. I had dreadlocks. I was like just a different dude. And uh, and the irony, this is like this is like this is a weird story, man. I I walked past the church I serve now oh. when I was living here back in 2005, 2006 area and walked past it and thought about going in there because I hadn't been in a church in a while. And I was like, nah. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I'm like working there like 15 or no, uh, 10 years later. So we, we only stayed here for about, I said about six months. Then we went to Massachusetts. Stayed there for 10 years. I went to a lot of stuff changed. I cut my hair off, went to a corporate life, became a corporate recruiter, blah, blah, blah. And then I ended up going to seminary. I ain't going to get into that whole thing. Then that was it. And then after seminary, I was poor, had been in school for like a bunch of years. And my wife brought up Boulder, Colorado again because we were trying to buy a house and it fell through. And then we, we got our money back. And I was like, well, let's, she said, I said, we, we've been through all this stuff. Let's, I guess if you want to go there, we can go there for like a year. Until I, and then see if we get jobs. And then we came out here. Next thing you know, the church job opened up. I had, I had a degree. It was, it was just crazy. It's, it's hard to explain. I just, I said, it's God. Cause I, I visited this church by mistake. Cause I was going to another church at first, but they had started, they served their service. So I went, I was like, Oh, well, this other church service starts in 15 minutes. It was the one I went into. Then three weeks later, their associates put in their resignation. And <laughs> next thing you know, I got hired. That's wild. For a year that contract, is... and I and it's going to be six years in uh, August. Wow! Like that's, that's why wild. I said it's God. Like I, it was nothing. I wrote down. Say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer an email. I'm going to say something stupid. Then this person is going to write me back. And then we're going to get in a conversation. And then we're going to get in a relationship. You know? Yeah, you know like, I can script that. It just happened. Yeah. Yo. Uh, <laughs> it makes no sense. Wow! Wow! And so what drew you, like, what drew you all back to Boulder? I don't really know. Cause it wasn't yeah. like it was my decision. Basically, I have no idea. I think the okay. idealism of what people imagine it to be, you know, how you go somewhere and they say, you know, like you go on vacation somewhere and it's like, but then it's different when you live in the place that you went on vacation. For yeah. sure. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. It's like, it's, okay. that's, that's basically what it comes down to. Okay. It's like, yeah. I think if you go to any place and you, you know, you just say like, oh, this place is nice, man. It'd be great to live here. And then like, you don't know, like they about the cockroaches or whatever, you know, <laughs> like just different stuff starts coming out and you're like, when you uh, turn on the lights and if you don't know about cockroaches, I don't know if that, I, I would say when I grew up, we had the cockroaches. So, <laughs> so I know that's why I said that analogy. Yes, uh -huh. yes. Uh -huh. Qu quite aware, brother, about the cockroaches. Quite aware. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They were my, they, they, like we say in the hood, they my cousins. They my yeah. cousins now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had one time cockroaches crawling on me while I was playing hide and seek. <laughs> and uh, I went under the cabinet. And you know that white powder that they used to put in the corner supposed to kill cockroaches? Yes. They were wearing that joint like it was snow. Oh, they were oh, like crawling. No. It was the worst. I never hid that spot again either. That don't mean nothing to them. They try to play with you, bro. What you mean? Yeah. Hey, let me ask you. Speaking about cockroaches. Yeah. I seen the real when the lights turn on. As you moved and you were here in Boulder, right? As a black man, when did you realize, like, oh, shit, this is different? You know, like... That's different. Like, when did that? When did that aha moment hit you? The the first time I came to Boulder in uh, two thousand, it was actually two thousand six. So the first time I came to Boulder, I was like, okay, well, look what I did, <laughs> you know. And that's why I like got to take responsibility for my decision. So I thought, well, okay, 
I'm going to try to volunteer somewhere. So I actually volunteered at KGNU. And then I, I tried to volunteer for this like diversity council. And I went to a meeting and I, there was, I was the only black person there. So I was like, oh, I'm in. And look, I'm black. My dad's an immigrant. So I'm, that's why I got the name Pedro Silva. And I speak Mandarin, you know? So, yeah. So it's I'm like, there. so no, 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 because I was like, I was like, okay, so I know I'm going to be in on this diversity council. There's nobody here. And then I called, they never called me back. So I called and I said, yeah, I was just checking in on diversity council. Um, no one ever called me back. And I wanted to see, you know, when, when I can get started. And they were like, oh, we got all the people we need. And I'm like, uh, how you need it? What? <laughs> I was the only person of color in that joint. <laughs> And they hired me. I mean, not hire me. They didn't take my free labor. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't take my free labor. I was like, dang. So then I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. Oh yeah. So then, we, so then we went back to. That's when we ended up going to Massachusetts, where she's from, and I got family there too. So then I didn't think I was gonna ever come back. But then after all the years of like, you know impoverishedness i was like okay i owe her <laughs> when, I, when i was working full-time and going seminary full-time and all this other crazy stuff so i was like oh she said uh and then we lost this house we were trying to get so it was like a yeah. down season you know yeah, yeah, so yeah. i was like i was like all right okay we can go back there for like a year <laughs> and then uh i'll just suck it up you know uh and then i came back but the thing was i came back and i became a pastor and i automatically had a voice like soon as I got here, you know what I mean? Which is different than other, a lot of uh, other black people who come out here out of nowhere. And, you know, I, so I felt like a, it was, a, it was interesting. I felt like a lot of responsibility and different things that came up, but it really hit me when my wife got pregnant and we uh, went on maternity leave and I got, I got parental leave too. Cause my church, like, you know, they're progressive like that. So I got parental leave. So when I was on parental leave, about a month in the parental leave, I went into King Supers. And then it's like, I was like, I didn't have the church or any of that other stuff around me. And then it just like hit me like, oh man, what? I'm back in Boulder. Like I'm, I'm black. And then I was like, sorry, I was like oh shoot. But I, and then I saw like, I don't really say the word white privilege that much myself. And I got my reasons for it. I won't get into it right now. But I saw what people call white privilege on display at King Supers. And then I just like, the fast version of this one is this dude was like checking out of the self checkout and he had a basket full of groceries, but he couldn't figure out the um little check self checkout thing. And he just said, forget this and started walking out, didn't pay for his groceries, started pushing the cart out. No problem. He didn't think anything. No. And he just was like, I'm out. And I was oh, like, I'm trying that. I'm and, trying I was, that next time. and I was like, I was looking at him. And I'm sitting there like, what in the world? This dude Ooh. said, forget this, and is walking out with the groceries. Ooh. And I was like, and there was a Hispanic dude right, right next to me. And we looked at each other and shook our heads like, you know if that was us, <laughs> we'd be doomed. And he, you could tell the guy didn't need the groceries. And then he's just like, I'm out of here. He didn't even try to go through a line and let somebody ring him up. He was just like, I'm done. Right. This technology right. is not for me. So I was like, wow, look at that. But then the the person who monitors the uh, grocery little thing, like chased them down. And he's like, sir, excuse me. I don't, um, I think you might not have paid for your groceries. And the guy was like, yeah, that machine stinks. And he's like, well, let me help you, sir. And then they like ran and then, they, then he rang the guy's groceries up. And I was like, what in the, what did I just watch? And then my, then my brain was like, Koosh. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I'm black. I'm involved in what happened. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So then when I came back from parental leave, I was like, yo, when I get back from parental leave, I have to, like, make sure I, like, say everything <laughs> because mm. other black people walk around here. You know, it'd be, like, irresponsible of me to be in a situation where I have a voice and then I'm just like, you know, like, no, I can't do that. You know what I mean? You just also brilliantly transition to my next question you said when you had a chance to say anything and everything you, it was kind of your obligation you know what i mean like now we're talking about de-ranking conversation right and as a pastor as a father as a husband what do you feel is your obligation when it comes to using your voice to raise awareness and take a stand like what is your obligation in that regards so for a long time i felt like 
it was really about my kids, you know, because I was like, okay, I don't want my kids to have to go through what I had to go through, like any parent, you know, like I don't, I, if they're going to go through something, I want some of it to be new, not like my stuff that I never worked out, you know, because I had to, you know, take the stuff from my family and, you know what I mean? So I was trying to give, you know, get out in front of stuff and I want them to hold their head up. Like if my daughter puts her head down, I'm like, no, no. You're not allowed to pull your head down. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to hold it up. No shame for you. So I kind of like was like that. So I felt like even when I don't want to say stuff, I'll think, well, if my daughters see me, I want them to feel like they can say stuff and they're not going to feel like they can say stuff. If they see me not say stuff. So, you know, so I, to some degree, they're tough, because, but, I, but I want them to be because of the world that they have to face. So that's what one of the reasons that one, the number one obligation, but then with the events of the past, you know, year, just like being super highlighted in the community and people like, like engaging in conversations that they never have before or in ways that they haven't before. Um, I feel that like, there's this, this saying in certain circles, they say nothing, nothing about us without us. So it's like you can't be talking about issues that affect people without the people who are being affected by those issues present. And um, by virtue of there not being as many people uh, here, I feel like to some degree, I feel like I got to be in that in that mix because of the nothing about us without us. And um, but then it's like if it's other people that I feel can say say it better or. Uh, than me, I also try to like, you know, invite them to participate and stuff. You know what I mean? But I'm also mindful, like I said before, that I have a voice in the community as a pastor. So as long as I do, I should. You know what I mean? So that's what it comes down to. And, you know, I think about just like if I see like say it's like one black kid and four white kids and they're all like really good friends, you know, and they're playing. And maybe they're riding their skateboards, whatever it is they're doing. And I see the black kid. I always feel sad because I'm like, man, you sitting there playing, having fun. Just like, I'm a kid. Yay. But the world around you doesn't see you that way. And if you and your friends are just just being kids and then somebody gets in trouble, they go come at you. And uh, for any people who watch this and they're like, huh, I don't get it. I recommend the movie Blind Spotting with David Diggs. Check that out. Um, because I think the other guy's name is Raphael Casal or something like that. That's in it. Mm -hmm. But watch that because it's like about a white dude and a black dude that grew up as like best friends, but the way the world, you know, sees both of them, that's a part of it. You know, so check that movie out. That'll be a shortcut to understanding. Say those again, blind spot? Blind spotting. It's called blind spotting. Blind spotting. And the other one? No, the guy's name is David Diggs that's in it. And oh, then, okay, that was and, both yeah, and then the other okay. guy's name is, I think his name is Raphael Casal. Okay. Okay. Of course, I know David Diggs because I'm a huge Hamilton fan. <laughs> yeah. I um, didn't even know he was in Hamilton <laughs> to like <laughs> after I saw Blind Spot. And I'm like, that's the guy from Blind Spot. But it might have <laughs> been like, that's the guy Blind from Spot. Hamilton. <laughs> Most, yeah. I'm yeah. excited about that. Tell us more. Could you tell us more about the concept of D ranking conversation? Like, where, where that came from? came from and what exactly is it? What does it look like? So I do some, as you know, I do some volunteer work with this organization called Living Room Conversations. Yeah, um, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And the reason why I volunteer with them is because like, we you know, with some of the shootings and stuff happening at the church, we held some conversations about race. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I need like just this is before it got popular to talk about it. So I was like, okay, I've made all these questions and stuff. And I was like, talk about it with your friends, invite people over. Like, you know, I'm trying to get people to like, don't just like feel good on Sunday or whenever I'm holding this thing and then go home and be about your business, you know? And so I was trying to create something like that. But somebody from that organization came to one of the talks I gave and they um, one of the sessions I ran, I should say. And then they were like, oh, this is what we do. And they had structure. So I was like, oh. I'm going to stop trying to invent something. (laughs) I'm just going to promote what you guys are doing and I'm going to use that and suggest that to people. So I was participating and volunteering and like, you know, hosting some of them at the church. Some members of the church were participating and stuff. And then um, we were doing one. uh, It was like a race conversation. It's like all kinds of conversation. Race is just one of them. But we were doing uh, doing race. 
And I did it like twice. And it was like white people and people of color and black people, which I make a distinction between black people and people of color. But at any rate, so we're doing that. But then one day we did one and by some twist of whatever, it was all people of color or black. And I didn't notice it at first. I just felt this conversation feels different, but I don't know why. And then there was one of the questions was, what was your first experience of racism? And usually when they say, what's your first experience of racism? The people of color and the black people would say, this is what happened to me. And the white people would say, this is when I saw something happen to one of y'all. And so then from there, we're in two different conversations, like emotionally, mentally, you know, all energetically. So then when we were in this conversation where everybody was a person of color and we asked that exact same question, everybody's like, this one, this happened to me. This one, this happened to me. This one. And then I was like, hold on. We're all people of color. Like, when does that, when does that ever happen? And then it's like, oh, and, and now we all are telling the story about what happened to us. And then I was like, OK, this, me and this other uh, woman who was in it, a black woman, she was like, well, this this conversation needs to change. This conversation guide needs to change. And uh, because it's not good for people, for mixed groups because of the first question. So then we started rewriting it, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I, I helped rewrite it. It came up with new questions. We made it into a three-part series, race, ethnicity, and things left unsaid. And then, like, did it like that. So it was really good. But what I realized in the course of doing it was that because of the systems and structures in place in our society, there's like these ranking systems that people tend to adhere to, generally speaking, without being conscious of it. And it manifests in all kinds of things. Like a parent can have a rank over their kid in a conversation. So the kid's like, yo, mommy, I want to put mustard on my cornflakes. And then the parent's like, no, you know, and they're like, why? Because I'm, I'm in charge. I'm a parent. You know, it, all of a sudden it's like, I'm the one that's in charge. Now, mm-hmm. you, whatever you say is a little bit less, whether it makes sense to you or not, is a little bit less than mm-hmm. what whatever I say. And so that happens all the time. And like I was in the military um, and I don't know if you read the article that I sent you or not, but I can put you on the spot. Just you can just act like you did. Thanks for reading it. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, um, that, but when I was in the military, I got in a situation where a non-commissioned officer, he was a master sergeant. I was a E4 at the time, which is like a senior airman. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but let's say we got in a conversation and he outranked me. So every time he would ask me something, he'll tell me, shut up. Like he was talking to me like I was garbage. And he was like, I could tell, I could tell what kind of airman you are, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to mess up your military career, blah, blah, blah. And, um, but it's like, it was like racism basically. And I had seen it happen to, I saw it happen to some other uh, black dudes in my same uh, squadron. And I was like, so I was like, oh, well, I guess it's me. And some of them, I mean, they got kicked out for like nothing. So I I decided, I was like, okay, this guy, he's going to try to like, you know, hit me up or whatever. So he he asked me a question. I started talking, shut up. Then I say something, shut up. So I said, okay, I'm going I'm to shut up for real. So then he said, he kept talking, talking. He asked me questions and I was silent. Like I didn't say a word. And then he was like, eventually he was like, why aren't you talking? And then I, I started talking real slow. And I say every, then I just paused. <laughs> My heart is like racing. Even and then I was like, scenario. and I was like, time. And then I just quiet. One, two, three. I, no, quiet. Open my mouth. You tell me to shut up. So I want to talk to you. <laughs> and, and then I just did it like that. And then he was like, get out my office. <laughs> Oh and then, God. and then he was like, told me like he was, I was done for. So, but the, it's like he couldn't listen because he had rank over me. You know what I mean? In his mind, mm-hmm. like nothing I said mattered because he was, he had the rank, I didn't. So shut up. So I was just like, okay. And I thought about that in the in the pervasive societal structure that there's areas where people obviously have rank. There's areas where people have perceived rank. And then it's just some stuff that we buy into, you know? So like some white people, you know, or whatever might feel like they might not think they feel it, but on some level, they may be in a conversation with a person of color, a black person. And because of the system, it depending to the degree they buy into it, they may 
think that they that their existence outranks another person's existence. So even when they say let's like let's uh, get into a conversation, there's this idea like sometimes people say normal. The word normal they mean white, you know. Like oh, why don't they just act normal? You know that sort of stuff. Right, right. And so all of that is like a ranking. So I'm like, okay, let's be aware that we do that if we yeah. can. And let's de-rank this conversation. Like, and I yeah. practice it with my kids. Like, if my kids said something doesn't make sense to me, I'll just start asking, like, well, why do why do you think that's the thing? And it's not trying to be condescending. Like, help me understand. Like, for real, I want to know. Like, I mean, I don't agree with you. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody. But it's just like, oh, no, help me understand. Like, I, I don't want to just come at this like, I'm, I'll rank you, so I'm just going, you know, da, da, da. And I feel like that's that's kind of like how it, it works. And in the military, there's like, there. I mean, theoretically, I don't think anybody ever really said it except for in movies. But they'll say permission to speak freely, sir, or ma'am, or whatever. And when you say permission to speak freely, it's like let's talk as equals, you know. Right. Let's let's talk as equals. And so that's basically um, what deranking conversation is: is like giving each other permission to speak freely and let's talk as equals. And then the idea behind that, whether people do it or not. Is at, when you had that conversation as equals, there's no consequence for what you said in that sphere of equality. You know what I mean? No consequence mm-hmm. in the sense that like if I say somebody says, oh, I say permission to speak freely, sir. And the person says, yeah. And they say, so what do you think about me, son? And I'm like, yeah, I think you're a jerk. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, we're in the free bubble. So explain to me, why do you think I'm a jerk? Let's talk about it. You know, I mean, that's obviously idealism and the bubble and all this other stuff. But it, but in terms of a tool to be aware that there's this thing going on and a person asking themselves, like, do I think that I'm in charge of the conversation right now? You know what I mean? Like, is that what's going on in my head? That's a question to ask yourself, you know? And if you can be honest with yourself about it and go, yeah, I actually do, you know, let me take that down a notch, you know? So that's that's the idea behind it. That, it makes me think of what you began with, with this idea of the, the group splitting along the lines of when when did you first experience racism? Because in that moment, when people of color and black people are talking about themselves and the white people are talking about other people, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's almost a rank that happens there. Right. 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 Like where it's like, actually, I don't need to share this personal vulnerability about myself because I don't feel like I've experienced racism, but everyone else in the room is sharing this personal vulnerability. So I, I get to like hold this safer space. You right. know? So even that is like, for me, I think of now like using that terminology, that's a, that's a ranking that happens. If someone right. has to be vulnerable and doing emotional work versus let's talk about other people. Right. There's like a protection there. It's interesting. Yeah. To LRC's credit too, we told them and they were like, oh yeah, we got to change this. <laughs> like, like instantly. It's dynamic. You have to be changed, responding all the time. In this stuff. Yeah. I, I, what, what comes to mind for me is leaders lead and leaders also follow as well. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and because you're a, a, a you lead a conversation doesn't mean you outrank anyone in said conversation. Exactly. Just, just the just the context of that conversation just gives you certain insights where individuals need to shut the f up, sit back, take it in, mm-hmm. and and understand where I'm coming from, given the perspective of and the impact of what's going on. So when the conversation comes with white supremacy and oppression. Because individuals of color may be leading that conversation, that doesn't mean that their white people don't have a place in said conversation, and they're mm-hmm. not also they're not also leaders as well. So that's what brought up for me yeah. just now when we're talking about that. And um, yeah, that, that was that's awesome. Yeah, and the um the conversation guides for uh, living room conversations they have like a conversation agreements. Yeah. And one of the agreements is own and guide the conversation. And that's for each person. Like your participation is on you. If you're feeling something, you have to speak up. If you're, you know, that's how that's how you do it. That's an equalizer. And it's like those uh, agreements are like equalizers for the conversation. Mm. Man. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Man, I'm not going to lie, man. You, you going to talk about the rapping or I'm going to talk about because you need to bring it in. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can say something. I'll say something back. Wait, 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 yep. wait, before we go to the wrapping, which is a really, really amazing part of this, this yes. interview, everyone, hold on. I was just wondering if you have any like tips around 
creating spaces where people can speak more freely, you know, where if you see power come into the conversation, because I, I mean, my, I believe that no two people, no two cultures can come together without a power dynamic. And we have to like, look at that directly. Yeah. Just any tips for our listeners around like how, I don't even know what the question is. I mean, tips, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe if they write it on their hand, it'll work when they get in the moment. But for the most part, I think it's just stay at it. You know what I mean? And don't give yourself. Yeah. Don't don't give yourself permission to get out of the conversation, you know, because there's this other organizations called Better Arguments. I went to one of their events and uh, they basically said, like, America is in an argument Mm -hmm. and it's not to try to get out of the argument, but to argue better. You know, mm-hmm. and so that idea, I think if you know, like, OK, I can't get out of this. Like some people think that they can get out of things like it doesn't have anything to do with them. But we like I, I, I believe like what Dr. King said is like we're inextricably woven together. And so if you know you're inextricably woven together, then you approach things differently and you got to like choose to accept reality because that's what it is. It's reality. Like you could say right. that right. you're not inextricably woven, but you're still inextricably woven. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I, I'll tell you one example. I had, man, I had so many jobs. I can't believe I like, <laughs> but one of the things I tried was, you remember that program called Dare to Keep Kids Off Drugs? Yeah. From school? <laughs> I believe yeah. I remember. Um, I can see like a neon logo. Like it's yeah, very, it, yeah. Yeah. Feels yeah. Like- <laughs> so at some point, Dare became like a, like, a fundraiser thing. And I went to this, uh, they, they had me go to the grocery store and try to get people to buy like dare cups and stuff like that. And dare t-shirts. And then it's like the money, some of the money goes to, uh, to drug education. So I went to the grocery store sitting in a, in a like upscale neighborhood and they walk in, the people walking in, seeing me and this other dude. And I was like, Oh, would you like to, you know, get some products to support dare? And this lady goes, Oh no, I don't have to think about dare. My kids are out of school that, and you know, we don't, we don't live in any of those areas. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Hmm. And I said, Oh, well, ma'am, I totally understand that. That's not for you or your kids necessarily. That's not for you. I said, it's for the person who might end up on drugs and they rob your kid. <laughs> and then, you're and she quick. was like, you are quick. <laughs> and she was like, and she was like, what? And then I was like, I said, yes, ma'am. Because, you know, sometimes the people can get that education early. And I had sold cars before this. And I was like, I was like, uh, I was like, but they get that education. Maybe they won't rob your kid for drug money. And then she was just like, oh, my God. And then she like, just like wrote a check. <laughs> She's like, I don't need any of this stuff, but here's some money. <laughs> and then the other guy who was working with me was like, I can't believe you just said that. And then I was like. Hey, man, I mean, that's how it is. Like, we're like, you can't get out of this. Like, all of us are in this together. And he was like, I wasn't trying. I didn't even, I I only worked there that one day. (laughs) So that was it. I like, after it was over, I was like, nah, this isn't for me, man. I was like a temp worker. And I was like, nah, not that one. Give me another temp job. (laughs) But, but I was just like, we're we're together. That's the biggest tip. We're in this together, regardless. No matter what you want to think. Money can't keep you out of it. Nothing can keep us out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now we're going to, we're going to let our listeners hear a clip of some, something amazing that Pedro has created. So listen up here.
amazing, bro. There's nothing else. Like, I appreciate you. That that was that's crazy. I'm using music, arts, just to raise awareness on social issues is like one of the most powerful tools that we have, you know. And so thank you for for that. And so yeah. with police with police brutality, it is what it is, you know, just mm-hmm. how it affected us in 2020. Um, it's always been in existence, but it it, it was highlighted and, and came just back door. Just came from the back door and just slapped us in the face about how pervasive it was. Why did the death of Philio Castile impact you the way it was? And yeah. so so and powerful. Like how, how did that happen? Well, Philando Castile, what happened? I mean, like I have kids, you know, and I had come to the awareness after his death that I unconsciously used my child as a shield between me and uh, police officers. And I realized that because I got stopped a couple of times in Massachusetts. One time I got stopped. By, <laughs> it's, so, it's not even funny, but I got stopped because uh, I stopped at a stop sign. But I guess the front of my bumper was a little bit into the crosswalk. But this was in the afternoon, late afternoon. Nobody was in the crosswalk at all. And then the officer stopped me and, and said, uh, I saw him too, like right up the street. But I was like, I ain't doing anything, so I'm good. As soon as I moved, he's like, whoop. I said, okay. And then he said, uh, he said, you know why I stopped you? I was like, no. And he said, if somebody were in that crosswalk, there's a chance you might have tapped them with your bumper. Because when you stopped, you're, <laughs> you were in the, you were in your bumper was in the crosswalk a little bit. And I'm like, so I almost hit an imaginary person and my daughter started crying and she was like, don't arrest my daddy. Don't do it. You know, all that stuff. Oh, wow. And then I was, and then he was like, Oh, I'm not going to do anything. Your dad. And then he gave me the, um, you know, saw my license and registration or whatever. And then I was just like, "Woo, good thing. My daughter was in the car. And then when Philando Castile got killed, I was like, Oh my God, man, it doesn't even matter. Like if you have a kid in the car, they'll still do the same thing. Like their fear is outrageous. Like I was like, if I was that guy, I would not be able to deal with myself. Like to be that cowardly, I would be like, how am I? I mean, I don't want to, I'll just say it it bothered me. So then I was like really jacked up and I was going through a lot of stuff mentally. And um, I mean, a lot, I had to just deal with it though. Like uh, Courtney said, like put your big boy pants on or something. So I was like, I was just like, okay, 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 okay. Like, I'm going to be a mess to my family. I'm going to be a mess to the congregation I'm serving. I'm going to be a mess to everybody if I don't figure out how to deal with this. And um, so I just started, like, writing, trying to, like, write. And and I was like, I didn't think about rapping at first. I was just writing poetry and stuff because that's how I get stuff out. And then, but I rapped at that church. And then this other dude, this other uh, pastor in Denver, he was like, oh, you know, you can go come bless our church or something. And I was like, yeah. He said, you don't rap. I said, man, I don't rap. And he was like, yes, you do, because you rapped at that church in Boulder. And I was like, what? How'd you know about that? And he's like, yeah, man, so you going to rap for them and you ain't, ain't going to rap for me? And I was like, oh, man. And I was like, man, I'm like 42. <laughs> and then I was like, then I said, all right, man, I'll do something for you guys. So then I wrote this one song for him. So then I was like, well, shoot, man. I mean, it's not like I can't do it. You know, I'm just I'm just saying I'm not doing it, you know, so I got to face that, you know, face that whole because that brought up some stuff because I when I was younger and I was really like in it where I could like just freestyle without anything. And I I was like having flashbacks. I started getting mad at the church like he killed my dreams. And then I was like, like, but I was working for a church. So I was conflicted. So then I said, man, let me just write this joint. And um, and then. So then it's like, it, you know, stuff just stacked on it. And so I wrote, I wrote this other song. Some of the kids that I work with at the church, they were like, Pedro, you don't rap in, how could you rap at the two black churches? <laughs> you ain't rap. Cause my church is like all white. <laughs> and I was like, my oh. church is all white. So I was like, well, uh, yeah, I don't, nah, <laughs> I'm not rapping at our church. <laughs> and then they were like, oh man, you tell us to put ourselves out there, but you ain't put yourself out there. And I was like, God, they got me. So then I, <laughs> So I was like, I was like, all right, man, I'll do it. And then I told myself, I said, well, if they tell me this is your last Sunday. I guess it'll be worth it. <laughs> I just did a song. <laughs> these kids, will, these kids will be like, He's, he did it. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So I did it. So I did this one song. So then, like, this is all like a trajectory. 
And then when I ended up doing this other way, I was like, that felt so good. I don't know what to do with myself because it's not like I could do it on a regular basis, you know? And then when I was dealing with the Philando Castile thing, I was like, you know what, man, what gave you the most life in the past couple of years? And it was like when you wrote that song and um, for the, the and you did it at a church like that gave you some life. Right. And um, so then I was like, yeah. And it was just like, so you need to do something that's going to give you some life. So I just was like, OK, let me write this song about like like the, the I didn't want the fear of death was jacking. Like, I don't I, like I, like I don't like just like. Death is going to come regardless. You know what I mean? That's like on everybody. But I didn't like the feeling walking around here in my body like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't like that. So I just was like, okay, let me write something where I just I'm just facing death. Man, I had a whole different idea for like how the video was going to be. And if I ever did a video, I had to like imagine it just to get myself to write it. And um Tell us about that. Yeah, tell us. What was the original? So the original idea when I was imagining and writing the song was like I was gonna go to a, like a death anonymous meeting. You know how they have like uh like uh, drug like a drug anonymous like what's it called like alcoholic anonymous or narcotics anonymous. I was gonna I was gonna be like a dude that was gonna walk into a death anonymous meeting, and it was gonna and I was like and I was like you know afraid of the death you know. And then I was gonna walk in, and there was gonna be all these people in hoodies sitting in the death, of, the death anonymous meetings, and it was gonna be like you know Trayvon Martin, and then like Philando Castile, oh, and all of them would be in the meeting. And then, um, and when you know how it says, um, "This is what they told me: wake up from the dream, death ain't nothing but a beast thing." It was them telling me that. Oh. So there was like, so I would, and they were like rapping to me, like I was coming in to get mentored, and I was like walking in, like I want to live, but. At the same time, I know like at any time I could get take, you know, killed or whatever. And so I imagine going into this death anonymous meeting for them to give me the like the courage to like live my life anyway. And then they and then one of them like and I see them all like in the hoodies and they just kind of like in there and the you know, music's going. And then it then they just say, like, wake up, here's a lie. Someone said that we gonna die. Got a slaver wondering why. That is something we don't buy. And then it's like, and then it's like all the mentors who already on the who already on the other side that went from like, you know, dying from police brutality, that they just say to me, like, I'm telling I'm we gonna tell you the truth from this side so you can live on the side you are until you until you finished. And then I like, and then I went on vacation and my wife probably was annoyed with me because I was just sitting there trying to like, you know, get this joint out. out. And she's like, she's like, it'd be like, nobody's going to hear this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you just sitting here with a beast and like writing down like your life depends on it, yeah. you know, and we're on vacation. And I'm like, I'm like, I wouldn't be on this vacation mentally if I don't get some of this out. Oh, yeah. Sure. And um, and then it was like we were we were in Hawaii. And then um, I finished the song like in a grocery store parking lot, but I wrote some of it in a like a it was actually a Chinese graveyard. It's some footage of it because I record myself in the somewhere. It's on it's on YouTube. I recorded some of it on a little app in a graveyard. And um, but I was just like imagining like myself in the grave and like all this crazy stuff. Oh, wow. Like, like wow. OK, they, they killed you now. You're in this grave. Now, what, what do you want to say from the grave? So I, that's how I wrote it. That's dope, bro. And then oh I, my gosh. And then I like, and then I, I, I didn't know if anybody was ever going to hear it, but then I recorded it on this app and I would just listen to it to myself on repeat, like as a pump, pump me up to like keep going. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't think of anybody else that was going to say what I was feeling more than I could say it to myself. So it was kind of like, um, almost like a mantra. Like you gotta, you gotta like remember this, you know? And then I, so I was just doing that and it, it helped me to like keep showing up. Like it was like my hype music basically. And then uh, y'all the only one that knows this. I hadn't said this to anybody before. Exclusive yes. on Humanize. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I ain't never said it out loud because I, I think if I would have said it in a, before now, I probably started crying and jump. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I feel like just hearing that, I've almost started crying like 20 times. Like there's so many things that you just said mm, that are dope, so so powerful this and i just want to like say like your your question to yourself is so powerful of like what has brought me life recently as a yeah. way of coping with this immense weight and yeah that is such i mean that i i will not forget that that is a really powerful 
question. Yeah. So yeah, basically that's that's what I was doing, and I kept rolling with it, and then. I like it's like one thing led to another because I was just like, oh, well, I'm, that's this song for me. I'm not going to share it with anybody because sometimes you share something with somebody and it sucks the life out of it, you know. So I just right. was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to feast on this on my own. And mm-hmm. then uh, and, and I just took it as like a gift from God to like keep me going. And mm-hmm. then um, and then I was in the grocery store. I was in Trader Joe's and this dude had a record label shirt on. And I just said, let me ask this dude if you ever recorded any songs before. Oh, he's just wearing a shirt. So I said, hey, uh, I see that uh, Akashic recordings on your shirt. What's that? He said, oh, it's a record studio. I said, yours? He was like, yeah. I said, you ever worked with any rappers before? He was like, oh, you know, Eminem. And I was like, Eminem? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I worked on the 8 Mile soundtrack up here in Boulder. And I was like, what? Really? I was like, you did? He's like, yeah, I recorded it. Eminem came up here with D12. And I was like, What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the in the mountains, man, in Lee Hill Road, up Lee Hill Road, way in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, I was like, seriously? And he was like, oh and he's like a he's a musician. And he's like low key. Like he's not like he's like a white dude, like a low key white dude, but he plays like jazz, I forget, like saxophone or something. And then he was like, he's like, Yeah, I do. And I was like, Well, all right. I'm gonna ca- I'm gonna call you one day, and then like some, <laughs> some time went by, and then I just like called him one day, and I was just like, "Yo, I'm doing it. I'm gonna record this thing, you know, and make it sound professional instead of like on this app." And then you know, blah blah blah. So then and then you know, it kept going. Then me and Katrina were talking one day, and I was like, "Man, I got this idea for a music video. I didn't think I was gonna ever do it, but you know, maybe I could make it happen." Which is the one I said, the Death Anonymous one. But then. Next thing you know, George Floyd got killed like a month later. Uh-huh. And then um, and then she was then we, you know, everything went on lockdown. Then we uh, actually everything went on lockdown. So we didn't do the video. And then we talked about it a little bit. But we we're like, man, what we're going to do is coronavirus. And then George Floyd got killed and everybody came outside. And then we did the protests and then she mashed them together. That was it. Oh and, I, and then I was speaking at one of the protests. And that's the part where you heard the dude talking. That was me. And then um, and then she mashed it up and uh, did that. That's how it turned out. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Yo. That's amazing. I I mean. Uh, what? Yeah, that's yeah. how it all went down. And uh, so that messed me up. And then what happened with... Um, with uh, Zade Atkins here in Boulder, where he got surrounded, picking up trash in his yard. All that was like compounding. And I just needed to like work it out. And it took me like a long time. And that song was my working it out. Like I had to like just get myself to a place where I was just like, you know, the reality of who I am. Like a person, if they kill me for something, they're going to be killing an illusion because they don't know me. Because if they knew me, they'd know that I was a pastor, a partner, a parent, a poet, those things. You know, if they if they're not killing the real me. And that's kind of like what the song was like. I had I have to live into the reality of who I am and how I know myself to be, regardless of someone else's uh misperceptions or the things that they use out of fear to protect themselves uh psychologically. And I saw so many of my my friends growing up get sucked in like bright kids that like because society told them what they weren't, they got crushed by it, you know, and, you know, by God's grace or something, I didn't end up. Well, I'm still here, so it might still be a chance. But so far, I haven't gotten caught up. And I I just like I feel like I had to I had to do everything I can to stay as awake as I can. You know, and so that's what it's about. And then and then like anything like a 12 step programs and stuff, the way you stay sober is you help other people stay sober. So that's how I do with this is like I stay I stay aware, but I do it by helping other people stay aware, too. That keeps me sober. So I won't be like all of a sudden like, hey, uh, I made it to middle class. Yay. (laughs) Now I'm just going to hang out. You know, I I don't want to roll like that. So that's basically what it comes down to. And it's just like an everyday thing. Damn. Wow. Courtney and I are not often speechless. I just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, it, it's, 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 wow. 
just the visual of your, your daughter, um, juxtaposed to the daughter of Philando Castillo, the stepdaughter of Philando Castillo, it's it's like, man, any given day, any given any given outcome, um, and that's not a good feeling because we don't know the future. So as a situation arises, you don't know if you're going to be home when you expect it to be home. You know that's right. That's, that's a lot. You know, and you said something that hit me powerfully that it's my obligation to to stay aware. And that's how I feel as well, you know, to stay aware mm-hmm. and to help others to stay aware. And this is why I think and I'm speaking for Emily that, that I'm blessed that she was crazy enough to come on this ride with me because I was I was determined pandemic or not. Nothing was going to stop me to, to like my people don't have the luxury to not be affected by what's going on mm-hmm. present day, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for her to jump on and and we both be walking down this road towards liberation, like I say all the time, and helping others to stay aware, just to be a part of the conversation towards freedom. I mean, you brought that all home with us right now, man. And I really appreciate this conversation. I really appreciate this episode and your impact to me, my man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Where Where can people you know, get in touch with you, um, see your sermons, like, you know, yeah. how can people stay connected? So I'm a pastor at First Congregational Church of Boulder, uh, United Church of Christ. And then I got, I have a couple blogs. I have one blog called uh, The Roofless Church. And it's just like mm-hmm. how it sounds, T-H-E-R-O-O-F-L-E-S-S church.com. And then I got a poetry site called It's All In Me dot com and it's i-t-s-a-l-l-i-n-m-e uh, dot com and um yeah so basically that's from a uh a whitney houston song it's all in me <laughs> but it, it's more I, I go deeper with it but um <laughs> yeah oh man okay well we will put those in the show notes so people can um find you and I, I listened to some of the sermons on the ruthless church and it's you you're just a powerful speaker and thank you so much for for joining us today we really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me thanks for doing what you do and being real i don't even want to mess up my podcast page by adding anybody else so i'm you just gonna just yeah yeah i'm just gonna listen to y'all <laughs> yeah i like that i like that <laughs> all right cool yeah all right thank you all right thanks and peace y'all yeah peace Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.